Welcome to The Mess, 150 years of Cape Breton Highlander tradition. I am your host, Major Jason Doyle. What is a Highlander? What makes Highlanders unique? Well, it's more than kilts and bagpipes. In this episode of The Mess, we will pull back the curtain on the Highlanders' deep history and our fiery traditions. It's very humbling, I think, for those of us who are around today to realize 150 years ago, it took a few people to come up with the idea to say, let's form a reserve unit here that represents the army. Well, what kind of unit? Here, they took the bold step of referring to them as Highlanders. This is our origin story. From our founding to our incorporation into the 85th Battalion, Nova Scotia Highlanders, to a reinstatement as the 185th Canadian Infantry Battalion, the Cape Breton Highlanders. Our march past is the Highland Laddie. If you look at a lot of Argyle Highlanders, their march past is either the Campbell that are coming or Highland Laddie. This is Sergeant Mike McMillan from Reserve Mines, the current pipe major for the Cape Breton Highlanders. More than just a ceremonial role, the pipe major is instrumental in maintaining order, discipline, and communication within the unit. And for McMillan, piping is in his blood. So the pipe major is in charge of the pipes and drum band while they're on parade. Within a Highland unit, the pipe major also holds one of the three senior appointments in a Highland unit, which are the regimental sergeant major, the pipe major, and the regimental quartermaster. Along with taking care of the pipes and drums, He's also involved a lot with how parades work and ensuring that parades go smoothly and also in charge of the history and traditions of a regiment. Traditionally, if the unit's going to the field, the pipes and drums were actually stretcher bearers or you have a piper designated to specific tunes were dictating specific things like a charge or you needed to retreat, different things like that, because the bagpipes are one of the few instruments that you can actually hear over gunfire. And that was a big reason why they were being used. The pipes and drums could also augment a lot of other positions as well when needed. We have the Great Highland Bagpipe. We play pipe and snare, tenor drums, and a bass drum. I play the bagpipes. I've played now for 20 years. I'm 27, so I started playing when I was seven. I originally tried when I was five, but I was a little too hyper to sit still trying to take lessons from a former pipe major of the 2nd Battalion Nova Scotia Highlanders, Courtney McPherson. Without the pipes and drums, we would just be another infantry unit that don't really have any musical support. There's a lot of infantry units in the country that they don't have a pipe band there. They don't have a brass and reed band there, so they're just on their own doing their training. But with the pipes and drums, especially within Highland units, they're able to see those traditions holding up and they get to see it a lot. So when they see the pipes and drums, they immediately feel those years of tradition. There's been a couple of exercises where we're doing live fire shoots and live fire section attacks and just having former pipe major Warren Campbell piping the guys back to the start line where they could go again. That was something really cool that guys never really got to experience in a long time or even last year when we had a course coming out of the field, myself and one of the drummers, Sergeant McLean, we put our rucks on, we put our helmets, tack vests on, and we played the course out looking exactly like the course, rucks and all. 
the story that pops in my head when I think of that is uh, we took Corporal McKenzie uh, to Florida with us, and uh, we're training with the Marine Corps. You know, they looked at this guy, and Murray is Murray, and he has his own way of doing things, but he's a great piper, and why is this guy here? Why is he up earlier than everyone else? And then he would break out the bagpipes. The head's kind of coming out and looking like, what is that? And, you know, we really kind of got a, a good spree de gore developed from that. But to be a Highland infantry soldier is to go back to the history of the Highland warriors before they were conquered by England and how they fought their own battles and they were considered to be very formidable troops. This is Michael McDonald of Sydney. He's an assistant professor of communications at Cape Breton University and a veteran of the Cape Breton Highlanders who joined right out of high school. And when they were unfortunately conquered by the British and became part of the United Kingdom, they became sort of the shock troops if you wanted a position taken, you would put Highlanders on the line because for whatever reason, whatever background they were from, once they put on the kilt and once they learned about the history and once they heard the bagpipes and once they got into that warrior culture, they became much stronger and just seemed like they were an elite force. There's an element of being elite to have earned that title of Highlander. Highland regiments began after Culloden, 1746, and the clan system disappeared. The British were looking for soldiers because they sort of had a foot just about everywhere. And they realized that if we allow Gaelic bagpipes, tartans, kilts, the bearing of arms, we will have a lot of Highlanders flocking to the Highland regiments. That's what they did, and that's what happened. The Fraser Highlanders, one of the more illustrious outfit, fought at Louisbourg and also Quebec, and they pretty well incorporated everything that the Highlanders had had in their clan system, and they were now getting paid for it. The Highland unit, for some reason, are very traditional. They must have inherited from their Scottish background, I guess. Tradition is very helpful when you need large numbers of people in the military for a conflict that's somewhere. And tradition somehow plays a role in where we've been before and how well we've did other activities. For me, when Things with the regiment come up that are more on the traditional end, whether we say Robbie Burns, whether we talk about the monument or the battle honours that the regiment has gained over the years. I think the idea of traditions in a modern world is providing us insight as to where we came from and give us a solid foundation and a direction as to where we need to go. I agree, and one of the things particularly about traditions is that they keep cropping up and they influence the new from what went on with and with the accomplishments of the old. So it's never lost. That's the whole idea of maintaining that train throughout. When I was a young subaltern, you're in the mess and you're listening. In my days, I had to listen to, not had to, but enjoyed listening to men like Colonel Carl Arnold and Leo McIntyre. And in the evening, I'd sit in the corner in the mess 
On most nights, they'd be talking, but occasionally they'd start talking about the good times they had when they were overseas during World War II. And on some occasions, they talked about the bad times. That was the most important part for me because I sat back and I listened. And I never let a word go by. I started going home and recording the anecdotal information just to keep it. And I have it at home, the stories, the good ones and the bad ones. To me, that becomes the whole idea of being a Highlander and tradition. That's the key. We have an interesting affiliation. In the 19, late 20s, early 30s, the then 22nd Cheshire Regiment of the British Army wrote what was then called the War Office in Ottawa, asking if they could be affiliated with the unit which is in closest proximity to Lewisburg. So it was found that it was the Cape Breton Highlanders, and correspondence went back and forth. They had to find out if the Cheshires had been at the Battle of Culloden, because that would have been a bit of a misnomer in those days. No, they were off in Jamaica somewhere somewhere else. So anyway, they used to send us a Cheshire cheese, and they also sent a bill to the then CO. I believe he would have been a Colonel McRae from Bedeck in those days. He put the bell in his attic, meaning to bring it to Sydney at some point. In the meantime, he passed on, and his son, around World War II time, found the bell, polished it up, reconnected with the Cheshires, And since, they've had a couple of our commanding officers and RSMs over to the UK back in the day, and we've entertained some of theirs. One of my RSMs now since passed on just recently, John O'Neill from Grace Bay, he and I were invited out in 1977 when the Cheshires were doing their battlefield tests And it was a week-long exercise, and John and I got a chance to visit with them a few days. Some of them came back, and we entertained them in the mess. It's very humbling, I think, for those of us who are around today to realize 150 years ago, it took a few people to come up with the idea, this new country of Canada, and at that point it was still new, so it took people with foresight and courage to say, let's form a reserve unit here that represents the army. Well, what kind of unit? And if you look across Canada, you'll see many different kinds of units, fusiliers and grenadiers and you know all this sort of thing. You'll encounter different people, foot guards, different names for types of units. Here, they took the bold step of referring to them as Highlanders because they knew that a lot of the people from this area were descended from Highland families and would be happy to take up arms and protect the country as a reserve unit if they were considered Highlanders as well. And that tradition spread from the humble beginnings to today where, again, like I said, we have Highlanders who are serving all over the world in different capacities, some of whom have served in Afghanistan. Yeah, the colors that we have today were issued back in 1953 or 54. They're hanging up in the museum right now. And on those colors, 
we refer to as there's there's two colors, the queen's color and the regimental color. And on that color is listed 26 of our battle honors from the First World War to the Second World War and including Afghanistan, which is just lately. The colors represent some of the battle honors that we earned over the years in combat. We have, I think, approximately 16 from the First World War and about the same amount from the Second World War. They can't all go on the colors because there's not enough room. So we selected the most important ones that we put on the colors. And I understand since the original colors issued in the 1950s, we have an additional colors issued the past 20 years. So right now we have two sets of colors in the park and one more new one, which was completely changed in texture and in colors. When I retired in 94, I approached Colonel Parsons at the time for the spot in the new buildings that were going up, replacing the old Second World War buildings. He bought the idea. The buildings were on stream about 1997. So he had a few years to get ready for the opening of the new buildings in the late 1990s. At that time, we had nothing set aside for museums except a few pictures on the walls in Glace Bay and in Sydney. So we started out from scratch. So we salvaged as much as we could from the buildings that were being torn down. Before the new building was officially opened, we started at the museum to create what we have today. So what we have today is just a small part of what we started out with. We were able to gather things up, and we had one grant, which made a big difference to the buildings and museum. Anyone who is willing to do the training, take up the pride of the unit, who is willing to learn the history and willing to put in what it takes to excel, anyone like that is welcome to be a Highlander, no matter what their background is. But they have to be willing to now say, okay, I am a Highland soldier and that has meaning just as it has here in Cape Breton for the last 150 years. I've only been in the military for eight years now, and I joined initially a little more than 10 years ago as an associate, which for the pipes and drums, an associate is just a civilian member. You're volunteering, but you still get most of the benefits that a military member of the band gets. They still give you an instrument if you need it. They still give you all your reads. So all of the cost of trying to play bagpipes, it's basically eliminated. It's really great being able to play in a military band and not have to worry about any of the costs of playing bagpipes, which for a lot of people, it can get expensive because every couple of years you got to replace this and that's a couple hundred dollars. So that's been really good. How important do you think the pipes and drums are to keeping those traditions? Oh, they're key. Without the pipes and drums, we would just be another infantry unit that don't really have any musical support. 
there's a lot of infantry units in the country that they don't have a pipe band there. They don't have a brass and reed band there. So they're just on their own, just doing their training. But with the pipes and drums, and especially within Highland units, they're able to see those traditions holding up and they get to see it a lot. So when they see the pipes and drums, they immediately feel those years of tradition. If you look at the Nova Scotia tattoo, each year they bring in civilian groups who can do interesting things to put on the nice show. But if you look at a lot of the things as well, you have military units from across the world showing up. You have performances from different military bands. The U.S. usually sends up one of their bands every year. The year I did the tattoo in 2018, we had a band from, I think it was Singapore, who came up. And then also, I think they had the 36 and 37 Brigade, a group of vehicle techs, race against each other to put a Jeep together. The Nova Scotia Tattoo has been around for over 40 years now, and each year they keep bringing in better and better talent to showcase what the military can do. This year was a little bit different where everything's going to be previously recorded and they're going to mesh it together as a video because COVID restrictions were still in place, but we were still able to try and get something together for the tattoo this year as opposed to last year where it didn't really happen. So where do you see the unit in the next 150 years? Hopefully still going strong and maintaining our Highland traditions. As an infantry unit from Cape Breton, Cape Breton is one of the last real strongholds in Canada for these Highland traditions. So hopefully in 150 years, We'll have our advancements in technology and our equipment that the military uses, but hopefully we still have our strong Highland traditions. You have been listening to The Mess, commemorating 150 years of Cape Breton Highlanders tradition. To continue participating in our 150th anniversary celebrations, check out shapingofcanada.ca. To learn how you can become a Highlander and join us at the Mess, visit our page on the Canadian Forces website or join us on Facebook at the Cape Breton Highlanders Association page.